Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. Thanks for joining me. I recounted last week some of my Toronto adventures, and uh, I wanted to share another anecdote, which I thought was pretty powerful. I was at the wedding on Saturday and um, was with, you know, kind of like a mixed crowd. And when I woke up the next morning, I was I was kind of kicking myself. I had a couple opportunities to evangelize or speak the truth more boldly, and um, I didn't. And I was evaluating the next day, like, was that because I was afraid of what people would think of me or that these people wouldn't like me, even though I'm never going to see them again, probably. And as God and his divine providence would have it, um, I ended up, God led me or I ended up going to, I think it was called St. Michael the Archangel. It was the Cathedral Basilica, Basilica, yeah, Cathedral Basilica in Toronto. And um, this young priest gets up to give the homily and it was so good. He, t- he talked about evangelization, how we're all called to evangelize. I was like, got it, Lord. I see what you're doing here. And um, he said, after talking about how we're not only called to evangelize in the way that we live our lives, but we're called to like actually talk about Jesus and share the gospel. He said, um, and you know why I think uh, people don't evangelize and I'm thinking to myself like ah because I'm a people pleaser or ah I don't want people to think I'm weird or ah it was uncomfortable um he said he referred back to one of the lines from the opening collect of mass that day which talked about being rooted in the the firm foundation of, of Jesus Christ he said we don't evangelize because we don't believe we don't actually believe that God loves us as much as he does and we don't believe that he loves other people as much as he actually does. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, that's so good. It's so sad, but it's so good. Um, if we truly believed that we are infinitely loved by an infinite God and there's nothing we can do, save, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And then if we change course and say, no, Lord, please do forgive me, uh, even then he will He will step in and forgive us. If, if we truly believed in an all-loving God who loves me infinitely and deeply and richly and incredibly enough to suffer and die on the cross to save me and to open the gates of heaven so I could be with him forever. And if I truly believed that he loved every other person on the planet and every person who has ever lived as much as he does, then of course I would share the good news. Of course I would share uh, the truth. That, that God is good, that he loves us, and he has a beautiful plan for each of us. And if we are saying or doing things that run contrary to the truth, that are not um, in line with the beautiful life lives we could each be living, um, you know, I, if I truly believe that God loved me and loved others, then I would not be afraid. I would not, I would not skip a beat. I would, I would share that truth. So that was just really good. I, I never heard it um, phrased that way. And again, as God would have it in, in his divine providence, it, it coincides beautifully with uh, our discussion for today, which is that of social justice. So on the second half of the episode, we'll read paragraphs 1928 through 1948. And the first paragraph, 1928, 
defines social justice. It says society ensures social justice when it provides the conditions that allow associations or individuals to obtain what is their due according to their nature and their vocation. So society ensures social justice when it provides the conditions that allow associations, so groups or individuals, to obtain what is their due. So social justice happens when individuals and groups of individuals are able to receive what is due to them. And I think, um, at least in today's day and age, when we hear social justice, we often think of, well, first, I think at a basic level, you know, we think of like, okay, food, drink, uh, shelter, you know, giving giving the basic needs to every human being. Um, but then I think some of the connotations of social justice in today's world, or at least the Western world, are... Um, so in a good way, affirming the inherent worth and value of each individual, um, which is true. Should, every individual is of, has equal dignity and worth and should be valued as such. Um, but sometimes this negative connotation creeps in in that social justice implies affirming everything that everyone says and does and not challenging anything that another person does because if we challenge that then that's like a knock on that person and we're not giving them what giving him or her what what is due to that that individual or that group paragraph 1934 says created in the image of the one god and equally endowed with rational souls all men have the same nature and the same origin redeemed by the sacrifice of christ all are called to participate in the same divine beatitude all therefore enjoy an equal dignity. How beautifully said is that? Redeemed by the sacrifice of Christ, so every man and every woman, all are called to participate in the same divine beatitude. So every person who ever lived, is living and ever will live, is called to, um, is made for the same divine beatitude or eternal happiness in God. If we look up just one paragraph, um, actually two paragraphs, 1932, it says, The duty of making oneself a neighbor to others and actively serving them becomes even more urgent when it involves the disadvantaged in whatever area this may be. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Paragraph 1933 goes on to say, This same duty extends to those who think or act differently from us. The teaching of Christ goes so far as to require the forgiveness of offenses. He extends the commandment of love, which is that of the new law, to all enemies. So the same duty, loving every person as though that person were another self, um, extends to those who think or act differently from us. The teaching of Christ goes so far as to require the forgiveness of offenses. He extends the commandment of love, which is that of the new law, to all enemies. Liberation in the spirit of the gospel is incompatible with hatred of one's enemy as a person, but not with hatred of the evil that he does as an enemy. So liberation, freedom in the spirit of the gospel is incompatible with hatred of one's enemy. So if I hate another person, if I hate my enemy, that is incompatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not living the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not standing in the truth for which I was made, for which others were made. However, um, liberation, Boda, but not, okay, it's not incompatible. So the freedom in the spirit of the gospel is not incompatible with hatred of the evil that he does as an enemy. So as a Christian, 
striving to live in the spirit of Jesus Christ, the spirit of truth, beauty, and goodness, I cannot hate another person, but I can hate what he or she does or is doing. I used to do a lesson with my students on the difference between judgment and judgmentalism. So as human beings with a rational intellect and a free will, we make judgments all the time. And that's good. Um, You know, this apple is good for me and that chocolate cake is not the best for me or will not lead to my health. Um, Wearing my seatbelt, you know, I make the judgment that this seatbelt will keep me safe and therefore I should wear it when I drive. So as human beings, we we make judgments all the time. We also make judgments... um, when it comes to kind of more heavy hitting or more complicated decisions. Um, so, you know, what, what other, what we're considering doing, what other people are doing, you know, that's, that's good. That's bad. That will lead to happiness. That will lead to a lack of happiness. Um, whereas judgmentalism is judging the person. So like, oh my gosh, she is not a good person because of X, Y, and Z. Or like, there is no way, you know, he is whatever, living the life that that he was made for. Um, that's judging the heart. U- ultimately thinking like, okay, you know, she, he or she is headed towards heaven or hell. And only God, as scripture tells us a number of times, only God sees into the human heart, sees all the, the circumstances and um, judges each of us accordingly. So I think this line is is powerful. The end of 1933, after saying in 1930, or actually before saying in 1934, that um, all are called to participate in the same divine beatitude. Just before that, the catechism, again, says that we cannot hate our enemies, but we can hate what others are doing. Why? Because as, as we've discussed so many times, we as human beings are made to do certain things and not do certain things. And um, depending on how we use our humanity, we will either achieve the end, the goal, the purpose of our humanity, or we won't. And so if we see others, if we see in ourselves, we see others using their humanity in the wrong way or using it in ways for which it was not intended, then it's it's not only okay, but it's good to recognize like, hey, that's wrong. That will not lead to happiness, beatitude, the divine beatitude for which we were all made. So we can think of this at a very you know basic level, parents raising their children. If we, if parents affirmed everything that each of our children did, um, it would not only be annoying to <laughs> those in our immediate vicinity and the world at large as our, our children grew and, and you know interacted with the world, but it's not good for our kids. Um, we're, we're doing them a disservice by not pointing out, teaching them right and wrong, um, teaching them to use their humanity well. So um, th- this isn't a sin, but uh, my son Declan really has a penchant for things. He loves uh, loves buying things and he has pretty good taste. So as a five-year-old, he, he's also very good at, at um, doing extra chores, saving up his money, and then making a case for why he should buy these $50 golf clubs from Learning Express. <laughs> like, are you going to use these this time next year? Because $50 is a lot of money. So he, I mean, 
we walk through a store and there's like seven things that catch his eye. If I, if Dan and I affirmed that, like, oh, it's all good. That's great. Good for you. Go for it. Uh, we would be doing him a disservice, uh, not only financially, doing ourselves a disservice financially at, at the at the moment, but doing him a disservice as he, you know, grows into a man who independently goes off on his own saying like, yeah, go for it. Buy everything, you know, you see and want. Um, we're not teaching him discipline or discernment, and we're, we're doing him a disservice. We're not teaching him how to live well. Peter, our other son, uh, has a penchant for sugar. So the other day he asked, as he's munching on a Rice Krispie treat, Mom, if I finish my Rice Krispie treat, uh, can I have a brownie? <laughs> Like, wait, what? Like, oh, it's the old, like, if I finish my dinner, can I have dessert? He's like, if I finish one dessert, can I have, can I earn another dessert? No. Uh, Again, if Dan and I affirmed, just eat whatever you want. It's all good. No big deal. Uh, We're doing Peter a disservice, doing a disservice to his health now and, you know, his lifelong health as an adult. On a more serious note, we're just uh, coming out of the month of June where um, so many LGBTQ Plus, relationships were celebrated far and wide by, you know, parades and a number of businesses um, advertised using the slogan, love is love. And it's it's become over time kind of this, this phrase that's like a catch-all uh, affirming every relationship. So any type of relationship, if one or both individuals in that relationship affirm that relationship, then it must be good and all others must affirm that relationship as well. And... Um, you know, we probably know from firsthand experience that that not all relationships are good and some can be quite bad. And uh, it's not only a disservice, but it's it's really hurting someone to affirm relationships that are not good. A final example comes from an interaction I had uh, just recently with a group of women where two women were talking. One was married and one was single. And the single woman was saying that, you know, she had just exchanged info with um, a gentleman and, you know, she wasn't sure if he was single or married, but you know, who cares? The, the pickings are slim. Um, so even if he's married, I'm going to go for it. And the other woman's like, ha ha ha, kind of laughing it off. I'm thinking like, this is horrible. Um, not only is it not something to laugh about, it's not something to, you know, affirm or encourage. Uh, now, Becca, where were you uh, standing up for, for what was good and right and true in this situation? Again, I was oh, a little cowardly and sorry, Jesus, for my cowardice. Um, but it is, again, as, as paragraph 1933 says, uh, it's incompatible with the spirit of the gospel to hate another person, but it is not incompatible to hate what he or she is doing. And so if you are a parent, a teacher, a priest, someone who has the care of others, that's probably all of us, (laughs) um, just be encouraged, especially when it gets difficult, when you're in a difficult moment of sharing the truth and it's not popular or you're getting pushback. Um, Be encouraged that you are Doing the charitable thing uh, by giving the other or giving uh, a group of individuals the truth because we are all made for the truth, all made for that divine beatitude. And so if we go back to that that very first line, 1928, very first paragraph from today's reading selection, uh, which defines social justice and says it provides the conditions that allow groups or individuals to obtain what is their due, we are all made for the truth. So what what is due to us is not just food and drink, the material things that sustain our bodies, but that which sustains our souls. And we're living in a 
world that could use a little more truth, probably all ages could use a little more truth. And so again, be encouraged uh, as you hand out the truth to others, as you offer the truth to others, that that is the thing for which each of us has been made. Um, And that is what leads to not only happiness in this life, but the happiness uh, for eternity for which we were all made. I think back to uh, a few years into teaching. uh, So I, I taught, you know, for 12 years, I taught teenagers. I taught at the high school level. And I was talking with a colleague who was a priest and saying, you know, I was saying like, I'm teaching these kids who are you know, 15, 16, I'm like in my mid 20s, but I am not cool. Like I am teaching, you know, things that run very contrary to what what teenagers want to hear. And uh, he said, your job is to be their teacher, not their friend. He said, you know what happens to kids whose parents try to be friends with them? I said, what? He said, they become criminals. I was like, okay, don't want my students to become criminals. I will keep handing out the truth, even if it's not cool or not popular. And as many of you have already experienced, um, you know, we are, we are blessed to receive uh, often in our lifetime some of the fruits of, of our labors. So, you know, we, we won't see a lot of the fruits of our labors this side of, of heaven, uh, God willing. But, you know, every, every once in a while, God does, does bless us with that. And so be encouraged that you're doing great things. And uh, people are blessed by the truth that you're handing on to them. Kind of a silly example that comes to mind is uh, my when I was maybe in fifth or sixth grade, my, I was an altar server at my church. And this is back in the time of landlines, like way before cell phones. If we were going to miss or could not you know, serve at the mass to which we were assigned, we had to call down the list and find a replacement. And a lot of parents, because like fifth and sixth grade, that's still like kind of young, you're anywhere from 10 to 12 years old. A lot of parents would call the parents of the other altar servers and say like, hey, we're going to be on vacation. Can your son cover for my daughter? Well, my parents uh, made me do the calling. They're like, no, you signed up to be an altar server and uh, we're going on vacation. So you can call down the list and find a replacement. And I was like, okay. So, you know, I would pick up the phone and hi Mrs. whoever um you know is your son or daughter there can I talk to her okay hi so-and-so you know can you please serve for me at the 1030 mass this Sunday blah 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 and it was I remember you know just like that little like like that little heart racing moment when the person's about to pick up the phone or you know you're about to ask the question um but over time like any other good thing the more I practiced the easier it became and I think I had this realization somewhere in college I thought about that and um, I called my parents. I was like, hey, mom, dad, thanks for making me do that. It was annoying at the time and like a little embarrassing, a little difficult for an awkward, you know, 12-year-old. Um, but I think it strengthened my character and made me less afraid. And I appreciate it. So thanks. So maybe you've received from your, your children, your students, um, some recognition for the good work you've done. But if not, know that, that God sees it and, um, you know, you will be... You're being justly rewarded for it. I want to end with this beautiful quote from paragraph 1937. It comes from The Dialogues, which is a a book by St. Catherine of Siena where she details, I don't know if it's like interlocutions or visions she has of Jesus. And uh, in this, this quote, Jesus is speaking to her about the diversity of the body of Christ and how we are all called to the same divine beatitude. We are all called to, um, you know, 
participate in this social justice to receive our due and to help others receive their due. And the way he sets that up is by giving us different gifts and talents, uh, different tasks, different you know strengths to share, um, but making it such that, that no man, no woman is an island, that we all need each other. We all need to participate in society and love and serve one another, contribute to this social justice uh, because we are made for one another, and, and just as God is a relationship of love, we are called to be in a communion of love. So we'll end with this, this beautiful passage. <clears throat> so Jesus says to St. Catherine of Siena, I distribute the virtues quite diversely. I do not give all of them to each person, but some to one, some to others. I shall give principally charity to one, justice to another, humility to this one, a living faith to that one. And so I have given many gifts and graces, both spiritual and temporal, with such diversity that I have not given everything to one single person, so that you may be constrained to practice charity towards one another. I have willed that one should need another and that all should be my ministers in distributing the graces and gifts they have received from me. So God has given each of you, each of us, uh, different strengths and gifts and talents, um, but he has not made any one of us uh, to, to stand alone. We all need each other. We need to love one another, support one another, and share the, the truth, the good news that we are all made for divine beatitude with, with each other. So we'll uh, take a brief break there and return on the second half to read paragraphs 1928 through 1948. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. And welcome back. We'll now read Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 1928 through 1948. Article 3, Social Justice. Society ensures social justice when it provides the conditions that allow associations or individuals to obtain what is their due, according to their nature and their vocation. Social justice is linked to the common good and the exercise of authority. Respect for the human person. Social justice can be obtained only in respecting the transcendent dignity of man. The person represents the ultimate end of society, which is ordered to him. What is at stake is the dignity of the human person, whose defense and promotion have been entrusted to us by the Creator, and to whom the men and women at every moment of history are strictly and responsibly in debt. Respect for the human person entails respect for the rights that flow from his dignity as a creature. These rights are prior to society and must be recognized by it. They are the basis of the moral legitimacy of every authority. By flouting them or refusing to recognize them in its positive legislation, a society undermines its own moral legitimacy. If it does not respect them, authority can rely only on force or violence to obtain obedience from its subjects. It is the church's role to remind men of goodwill of these rights and to distinguish them from unwarranted or false claims. Respect for the human person proceeds by way of respect for the principle that everyone should look upon his neighbor without any exception as another self, above all bearing in mind his life and the means necessary for living it with dignity. 
No legislation could by itself do away with the fears, prejudices, and attitudes of pride and selfishness, which obstruct the establishment of truly fraternal societies. Such behavior will cease only through the charity that finds in every man a neighbor, a brother. The duty of making oneself a neighbor to others and actively serving them becomes even more urgent when it involves the disadvantaged, in whatever area this may be. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. This same duty extends to those who think or act differently from us. The teaching of Christ goes so far as to require the forgiveness of offenses. He extends the commandment of love, which is that of the new law, to all enemies. Liberation in the spirit of the gospel is incompatible with hatred of one's enemy as a person, but not with hatred of the evil that he does as an enemy. Equality and Differences Among Men Created in the image of the one God and equally endowed with rational souls, all men have the same nature and the same origin. Redeemed by the sacrifice of Christ, all are called to participate in the same divine beatitude. All therefore enjoy an equal dignity. The equality of men rests essentially on their dignity as persons and the rights that flow from it. Every form of social or cultural discrimination in fundamental personal rights on the grounds of sex, race, color, social conditions, language, or religion must be curbed and eradicated as incompatible with God's design. On coming into the world, man is not equipped with everything he needs for developing his bodily and spiritual life. He needs others. Differences appear tied to age, physical abilities, intellectual or moral aptitudes, the benefits derived from social commerce, and the distribution of wealth. The talents are not distributed equally. These differences belong to God's plan, who wills that each receive what he needs from others, and that those endowed with particular talents share the benefits with those who need them. These differences encourage and often oblige persons to practice generosity, kindness, and sharing of goods. They foster the mutual enrichment of cultures. I distribute the virtues quite diversely. I do not give all of them to each person, but some to one, some to others. I shall give principally charity to one, justice to another, humility to this one, a living faith to that one. And so I have given many gifts and graces, both spiritual and temporal, with such diversity that I have not given everything to one single person, so that you may be constrained to practice charity towards one another. I have willed that one should need another, and that all should be my ministers in distributing the graces and gifts they have received from me. There exist also sinful inequalities that affect millions of men and women. These are an open contradiction of the gospel. Their equal dignity as persons demands that we strive for fairer and more humane conditions. <coughs> Excuse me. Excessive economic and social disparity between individuals and peoples of the one human race is a source of scandal and militates against social justice, equity, human dignity, as well as social and international peace. Human solidarity. The principle of solidarity, also articulated in terms of friendship or social charity, is a direct demand of human and Christian brotherhood. An error, today abundantly widespread, is disregard for the law of human solidarity and charity, dictated and imposed both by our common origin and by the equality and rational nature of all men, whatever nation they belong to. This law is sealed by the sacrifice of redemption offered by Jesus Christ on the altar of the cross to his heavenly Father on behalf of sinful humanity. Solidarity is manifested in the first place by the distribution of goods and remuneration for work. It also presupposes the effort for a more just social order where tensions are better able to be reduced and conflicts more readily settled by negotiation.
Socioeconomic problems can be resolved only with the help of all the forms of solidarity. Solidarity of the poor among themselves, between rich and poor, of workers among themselves, between employers and employees in a business. Solidarity among nations and peoples. International solidarity is a requirement of the moral order. World peace depends in part upon this. The virtue of solidarity goes beyond material goods. In spreading the spiritual goods of the faith, the Church has promoted and often opened new paths for the development of temporal goods as well. And so throughout the centuries has the Lord's saying been verified, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. For 2,000 years this sentiment has lived and endured in the soul of the Church, impelling souls then and now to the heroic charity of monastic farmers, liberators of slaves, healers of the sick, and messengers of faith civilization, and science to all generations and all peoples for the sake of creating the social conditions capable of offering to everyone possible a life worthy of man and of a Christian. In brief, society ensures social justice by providing the conditions that allow associations and individuals to obtain their due. Respect for the human person considers the other another self. It presupposes respect for the fundamental rights that flow from the dignity intrinsic of the person. The equality of men concerns their dignity as persons and the rights that flow from it. The differences among persons belong to God's plan, who wills that we should need one another. These differences should encourage charity. The equal dignity of human persons requires the effort to reduce excessive social and economic inequalities. It gives urgency to the elimination of sinful inequalities. Solidarity is an eminently Christian virtue. It practices the sharing of spiritual goods even more than material ones. This brings us to the end of our reading selection, the end of our episode. Thanks for joining me for another week. Between this week and next week's episode, please connect with me on Instagram at Catholic Light Podcast and Facebook under Rebecca Dougherty. Please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.